Choosing the right road to take is a very important decision. In the summer of 1986, when our oldest daughter, Sarah, was just one year old, Marge and I decided to take a trip up to Huron, Ohio. <clears throat> we were going to visit her mom and her aunt for the weekend where they were spending the summer at her aunt's cottage. It was just the two of us, the baby, and our cat. And for the life of me, I can't remember why now, but we thought it would be super fun to stay off the expressway and only take back roads all the way from Middletown, where we lived, to Huron. And to that end, we decided that Route 4 was going to be the road that we took. Well, we started out on one of the hottest days of the summer, and back in those days, we were poor, and our car was old, and the air conditioning didn't work. We made it from Middletown to Germantown, and then Route 4 from there to Miamisburg was a really country road, you know, one that was filled with wee hills, you know, those little hills that make your stomach feel like you're on a roller coaster and you go wee every time you kind of go over one. Well, those make Marge feel kind of queasy, <laughs> and that was not a good thing. And it kept getting hotter and hotter as we went through Dayton. And by the time we got to Fairborn, Sarah had thrown up in the back of the car. And our cat had smelled up the whole car with her litter box. And we were like, oh, the heck with this idea of scenic roads. Let's just get there as fast as we can. And we made a beeline for the nearest expressway. Every one of us makes choices, a number of choices, each and every day. Some of them we make without giving them very much thought. Others we give a lot of thought to. Choices are powerful, and they can have tremendous consequences for our lives, either for good or for bad. Choices determine the road we'll take and the road we won't take. And when we make the choice to say yes to one thing, we are in effect choosing to say no to any number of other things. And because choices have so much power to change the trajectory of our lives, we want to make sure that we incline our ear to God for Him to lead us, especially when we're making important decisions. We have come to the end of our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And for 14 weeks now, we have been learning from Jesus just what the kingdom of God looks like and how we as followers of Jesus are called to live in God's kingdom. These teachings have not been easy, have they? They have challenged us to change. Jesus has set the bar higher and higher and these teachings have indeed included some difficult things like loving our enemies how to face temptation, controlling our anger, and more. Now, as Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount, he highlights the most important choice we will ever make. In these closing verses, Jesus tells us we must make a choice between the narrow road or the broad road, between influences that produce fruit good fruit or influences that produce bad fruit, and between building our lives on the rock or building our lives on the sand. 
Jesus tells us, he tells us which choice we should make, and he leaves us with some warnings. I'm reading from Matthew 7, beginning in verse 13 this morning. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. As Jesus concluded his teaching in this sermon, the people were utterly amazed. No one they had ever heard taught like this. Jesus' words carried weight. He taught with authority. And he laid out for his listeners, not just back then, but for us today as well, the most important choice that we will ever make. Enter through the narrow gate. You know, gates lead to new places, exciting places, don't they? An airline gate ushers you onto your plane that might take you to an exciting vacation destination. A turnstile gate at King's Island ushers you perhaps onto your favorite ride. A garden gate might lead you into a beautiful, lush, green place. And like gates, roads lead places too. Jesus says there is a narrow gate and a narrow road, and there is also a wide gate and a wide road. And the difference is their destination. 
Now, this isn't any old destination like Lake Erie was in my story from years ago or where the airplane is taking you on vacation or even if that turnstile leads to your favorite ride at Kings Island. No, Jesus is talking about your eternal destination, where you will spend eternity. He is talking about heaven and hell. Now, I know that hell isn't a very popular thing to talk about or believe in today, but Jesus talked about it at least seven times in the book of Matthew alone. So we'd better listen. We'd be foolish to push it out of our mind and not think about it. Hell is eternal destruction. Hell is eternal separation from God. It's frightening. It's a scary destination to think about. The Bible teaches us that there will be a judgment day for each of us. The Bible also teaches that God is the perfect and the just judge. And on the day that we stand before God and we hear His verdict, no one will be able to argue that God's judgment is not just. It will be like the man who was brought to trial for a crime, fully intending to enter a plea of not guilty. But at the close of the trial, when the judge asked him how he pled, he said, guilty. And the judge was surprised, and he asked, I thought you were entering a plea of not guilty. What happened? And the man answered, Your Honor, that was before I heard all of the evidence against me. When the evidence is presented about us on Judgment Day, we will know that we are guilty and we will not be able to argue against the sentence of the judge. Jesus says there is a narrow gate and a narrow road that takes us to eternal life. That gate takes a specific choice to enter it and to stay on it. And he also says that there is a wide gate and a wide road that leads to destruction. It also takes a specific choice. But it is the path of least resistance. It is the road that seems natural to us, the road that seems the most easy. It's the road that accommodates every belief, every lifestyle, every philosophy, every degree of religious devotion or lack thereof. Thieves, murderers, liars, and adulterers go down this road. But so do a lot of seemingly good, upstanding citizens who never made the other choice for the narrow gate and the narrow road. The choice we make determines our eternal destiny. And if that doesn't sound fair to you, or if it sounds offensive to you, that's exactly the point of Jesus' warning you see, he's not interested in sparing your feelings. He's interested in sparing your life. It's like if you had a rare brain tumor and your doctor told you that there is only one way to save your life. Jesus isn't telling us that there's a hundred ways or a dozen ways or even two ways to heaven. There is only one way, only one gate, only one road, and it is narrow, but it is open, and it is available to every single person who ever chooses to enter it. 
Jesus is urging us to make the right choice right here and right now. But what is the right choice? What is the narrow gate and the narrow road? In John 10, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief kills only, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. There is no other way. There was no other way God could save us from the consequences of our own sin other than for Jesus, the Son of God, to pay the price for our sins and die in our place on the cross. God Almighty, for whom all things are possible, had just one way to justify us and save lost sinners that He loves so much. The only way God could remain just and justify us was for His righteous judgment to be poured out on His Son, who was uniquely qualified as the Son of God and the Son of Man to stand in our place condemned. What can take away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So if we reject Jesus, we have to bear the weight and the judgment of our sins and stand guilty before God all by ourselves. But if we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior and follow Him, then we receive His righteousness just like it was our own, and we are covered by the grace of God. Yes, the amazingly good news is that Jesus gave His life so that anyone who believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Now, we know that there is nothing we could ever do to earn our salvation. It's impossible. It's a free gift of God, and all we have to do is receive it by faith. But following Jesus isn't easy. Jesus says the way is hard that leads to life. We've been learning throughout the Sermon on the Mount that the expectations of kingdom living go against every human inclination we have inside of us. Being a Christian means following Jesus every single day, even on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Yes, our salvation is free, but being a Christian doesn't mean we're free to live however we want. We aren't free to live lives of pride, arrogance, dishonesty, unforgiveness, or bitterness. It's a hard path, but it's a wonderful path. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can grow in grace every single day of our life following Jesus until we become perfected in love. Being perfected in love brings us to the first warning Jesus gives us. He tells us to beware of false prophets and that we will recognize a false prophet by the fruit they bear. In other words, false prophets will not bear good fruit. Jesus warns us about false prophets who are like wolves, 
but who come to us in sheep's clothing. In the Bible, a prophet is a person who speaks on behalf of God. And of course, they speak the word of God. A false prophet, on the other hand, is someone who teaches, leads, or influences in the name of the Lord, but the word they bring is not really from the Lord. They pretend to be messengers from the Lord, but the message they bring isn't from the Lord. False prophets teach or influence in such a way as to subtly lead people away from God's truth. Now, sometimes they're that kind of radical or way-out cult leader that we hear about or read about in the news from time to time, but most of the time, they subtly speak words that sound pleasing to us, that appeal to our cultural norms instead of biblical norms. 2 Timothy 4.3 puts it this way, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Jesus tells us to beware of false prophets and not to listen to them. And Jeremiah warned long before the days of Jesus, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. I recently learned something I didn't know before about what happens when a wolf comes upon a flock of unprotected sheep out in the wilderness. They don't just kill one sheep and make a nice dinner out of it. They may kill hundreds of sheep, just biting them and letting them bleed to death and, and lay dead in the field. It's like they become this bloodthirsty, crazy kind of animal. False prophets may come disguised as fellow Christians who love Jesus and want what's best for the church. But inwardly, they have a ravenous hunger to exploit and tear apart and destroy God's people for their own interests. It's in their nature to attack and destroy the flock of God. Paul warns the Ephesian elders about this very thing in Acts chapter 20. He writes, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. So how do we recognize a false prophet? Jesus says we will recognize them by their fruit. So I think we have to be like apple inspectors who work for the FDA. We have to look at fruit, don't we? We have to examine it. Healthy trees bear good fruit, and diseased trees bear bad fruit. So before we let someone influence us, we need to evaluate the fruit of their teaching and the fruit of their lives. Now for us as Christians, the Bible is the final word on what we believe. And the most important question we can ask as we inspect the fruit of any teaching is, is it biblical? Does it line up with God's Word, or is it out of line with God's Word? Does it contradict God's Word? Does it twist God's Word or say something other than the plain meaning of God's Word? And the best way to be able to spot something false is to know what is real. And so every Christian has the responsibility 
to personally read, study, and know God's Word for themselves. That's why we place such an emphasis on reading the Bible here at Anderson Hills. That's why it's one of the six habits that will help you grow in your faith and that we talk about regularly. That's why we produce for you a Bible reading plan that corresponds to each and every sermon series we preach so you can read from your Bible in advance of Sunday morning and get more out of the preaching and test it. That's why we offer so many Bible studies, including disciple Bible study. Don't miss the opportunity to sign up for classes that are beginning soon. Dive deep into God's Word through Bible study. You see, the Bible is how we inspect the fruit of a person's teaching. And inspecting the fruit of their life is about their character. False prophets are self-centered. True prophets are God-centered and other-centered. False prophets bear bad fruit, fruit like that found in Galatians 5, 20 to 21. Things like hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, and the like. But, tr <clears throat> but true prophets bear good fruit, fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus uses another metaphor to help us understand what it means to choose Him, the narrow road, and avoid the wide road that leads to destruction. He uses the example of two different builders. Now, any real estate agent can tell you that the most important thing about any house is location, 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 right? And that hasn't changed at all in about the last 2,000 years. Jesus is telling us that where we build our house really matters. Now, building a house on sand is not a very smart place to build. Sand is shifty. Sand isn't stable. And if the ground shifts, the house shifts, and then it's going to collapse. But a rock? Now, that's a great place to build a house. A rock is stable. It's unmoving. It can withstand the test of time. When we were in France a couple of months ago, we went to a historic village called Rocamador. It's an ancient pilgrimage site built into the side of a cliff. And all of the buildings are built on the rock of the cliff and have their foundations there. And some of them even use the side of the cliff as one of the walls of the house. Rocamador has been there for centuries, and as I gazed at that amazing village, I thought, that village isn't going anyplace anytime soon. It was solid. When Jesus talks about building on the rock, he means to listen to his teachings and respond to them as a faithful disciple would, not to just give lip service to them or to say one thing while doing another thing. Both of these home builders, in Jesus' examples, face storms. The Bible says in the world we will have trouble whether we follow Jesus or not. The difference comes in how we will withstand the storms of our life. With our lives built solidly on the rock of Christ Jesus, we will be fine. But if we build on anything other than the foundation of Christ, we will collapse just like a Jenga game when one too many pieces is removed and their vulnerable weak spot is exposed and it comes collapsing down. 
Following Jesus requires crucifying our flesh, living by faith, enduring trials with Christ-like patience, and living a lifestyle separate from the world. It requires that we allow God to truly reign in our hearts, allowing us to do His will and not our own. When faced with the choice between a narrow, bumpy road and a wide, paved highway, most of us choose the easier road. Human nature gravitates toward comfort and pleasure. And when faced with the reality of denying ourselves to follow Jesus, most people turn away. Jesus never sugarcoated the truth. And the truth is that not many people are willing to pay the price to follow him. Yet Jesus made it very clear that there is only one way to life eternal, and he is it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, it is exclusive in that there is only one way, yet it is very inclusive too in that the way is wide open for anyone and everyone who will choose Jesus. So far this year, through the ministries and the people of this church, 67 people have made first-time professions of faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? 67 people are living today in a way completely different than they were on January 1st. That is awesome. Glory to God for that. Each one of them has acknowledged Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is their Lord and their Savior, and that they want to follow him through the narrow gate and along the road that will lead to abundant life now and eternal life in the future. What is your next step on the narrow road, the road that leads to life? Maybe this is your day to make a profession of faith in Jesus, to say, Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life because I'm not doing it so well on my own. Forgive me. Make me new. I choose you. I choose the narrow gate. Set me on the narrow road that leads to life, and I will follow you now and forever. And for many of you who are already on that narrow road with Jesus, and if you're anything like me, Jesus has been working on you through this sermon series. He's been exposing some things to you that maybe you hadn't thought about in a while. His teachings from the Sermon on the Mount maybe have made you seen an area or even a couple of areas in your life where you could be following him a little bit closer where that bar is just a little bit set higher than you thought it was before, where you've realized that your life and your actions could stand to look a little bit more like the kingdom of God and a little bit less like the kingdom of this world. Well, during our closing hymn, I want you to think and pray about what your next step needs to be. And at the end of the service, we're going to have prayer partners, as we always do, who are ready to pray with you. 
And if you're making a profession of faith to follow Jesus for the first time, make sure you let someone know. Come down and let a prayer partner know, or me or Jonathan as you exit today. We want to celebrate that with you. That's the most important choice you will ever make in life, and we as a church want to help you begin the journey and take your next steps on that road. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all that you have taught us from your Sermon on the Mount, that the kingdom of God is close at hand, and for all who accept you and enter through that narrow gate and travel the narrow road with you, both abundant life now and eternal life forever is ours. God, move us to make that choice, whether it be for the first time or to make a choice that draws our life closer to you so that our life is a purer, more distilled reflection of your kingdom and not of this world. And so when people see us, God, whether we make a choice for the first time or whether we're further down the road, they'll see you and they too will be drawn to you, to your son Jesus, who is the gate that leads to life, the only way. We praise you in unending praise. In Jesus' name, amen.